Okay. Uh, so that'll be next Sunday. I was talking the last time, you know, throughout these, these verses in the early part of Matthew 5, depending on what translation you're using, it either says blessed and a few translations say happy. And so I was working through that, and I talked to you about, you know, that happy is a better translation. Digging into that a little bit further and with the help of Fount as well, something that's interesting, the word happy in the Hebrew is the word asher. And Asher was one of Jacob's sons from Rebekah's servant, Milcah. I think that's how it is. And through her, Gad and Asher were added to the sons of Israel. So I'm not sure how far you, you want to take that and play around with it. But the word Asher means happy. So Jesus was saying, Asher. And Milka, when she gave birth to Asher, she said, his name will be called Asher or happy because all women will see the Lord's blessing upon my life. So when I played around with that a little bit, just in my own thinking, when Jesus is saying, um, you know, when he takes us through these and he's saying, Asher are you when you're poor in spirit. If we take what Milka said when she named her son Asher, it wasn't about her just getting a son, even though she was excited about that. But it was about all the women will see the Lord's hand upon my life, which I said in one of the times I talked about this, that as we go through these various things that Jesus talks about, none of it is, I'm not the end result of any of it. I get the benefit of it. It happens in my life, but it happens in my life for your life or the life of people I come in contact with. So when I learn to be poor in spirit, when I learn to be, to mourn properly, when I learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so on, those things all have an immediate benefit on me, yes, but the design is to have the benefit for others. So that's, that's one thing. Now, the other thing, and Fount helped me with this, he gave me some stuff to chew on and to look up and so I ended up with a homework assignment after talking with him. The other piece about the word Asher and the word blessed is it's one of those words that you can't, from the Hebrew, you can't bring it directly into English. We have no English word that, that is a, a complete correlation to Asher. Because this word blessed, this word happy, this word asher in Hebrew, what it brings with it is the connotation of being wealth fulfilled. Now, that's as, about as literal as you can get with it, 
And so if you take that, what he's saying, what's, what Jesus is saying is, fully wealthy are you when these things are come into your life. So now it's adding something to me. Now, biblical wealth is not money. Money is a piece of wealth, but biblical wealth is the full context of you as a person. I'm a wealthy man, and I know it, not because my bank account is bigger than anybody else's, because it's not, but part of my wealth is I walk in health. I walk in a happy marriage. I have amazing kids. I got amazing grandkids. I get to live on land that has been in my family since the 1800s, on and on. I, I've been plowing myself into our genealogy. It, it's one of those... I don't know, it's probably just OCD that gets the better of me, so now I'm, like, fixated. Every day I'm up, like, checking one more green leaf on Ancestry.com. I'm finding, like, some really amazing stuff. Without boring you with our genealogy, necessarily, but in the late 1400s, there was a gentleman in England from Cheshireshire, Cheshireshire, it's the stuff you put on your steak. I forgot. To, my family invented that. No, we didn't. Um, in the late 1400s, there was a man named Robert Muncie who had a son named Robert Muncie. Between the two of them, they had 28 kids. To which my wife said, I'm glad not everything is followed through <laughs> in the family line. So, but in that, what I, what I did discover is one of the women who married, was married a Muncie in the mid-1400s, her name is Isabella, her first name. One of the prominent things about her is, and it says it everywhere her name shows up, no matter where I go and her name appears, what it says, it gives her full name and it says, whose lineage goes to King David of Judea. That's what I said. <laughs> Dang, man. I mean, that's like, How's that even happen? And I haven't got the whole trail yet, but it's there, so I just got to figure out, okay. So um, one other piece is one of, uh, it, it was my 12th great-grandfather was an administrator for King Henry VIII and was considered one of his most trusted People, evidenced by the fact that he didn't lose his head. <laughs> so anyway, but that, that's, that's the sum total of my wealth, and my wealth is increasing. My wealth is you. My wealth is what this community of believers is, is accomplishing. Those are all pieces of my wealth. So when we talk about wealth, it's more than money. 
So don't ever get pulled into that. I actually, for me personally, I think it's, I enjoy taking stock of my wealth. Not in an arrogant, prideful way, but from a way of going, my goodness, what, look what the Lord has done. You know, because I certainly didn't start out that way. I was just a normal kid that was more prone to being ignorant and in trouble than anything. And yet, I get to stand here today and go, I can measure my wealth because this is what the Lord has done. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Whether my lineage goes back to King David or not, it goes back to King Jesus. And you have been so, so good. And when we ponder that, I guarantee you, it shifts our soul. It shifts how we see ourselves. It shifts how we see ourselves interacting with other people. It shifts what we see our future, both while I'm present and when I'm not present. It shifts how I even view that. And so this idea of biblical wealth. So Jesus is saying, you are wealthy when these are your characteristics, you are increasing. If you accept my premise that these are actually steps leading us in maturity, ending with us being the son known as sons of God, if you accept that, at each one of these steps, my wealth is increasing, my wealth is increasing, my wealth is increasing. Because at each of these steps, my capacity to hold Yahweh in my heart so that he can be expressed through me as and I can be used as an imager is increasing. And so my wealth is increasing. So Proverbs, uh, where is it? Where am I at? Oh, there it is. Proverbs 14.24. I'm reading this from the Passion. It says, the true net worth of the wise is the wealth that wisdom imparts. But the way of life for the fool is his foolishness. So if I am growing in wealth, if I'm maturing, if I, these things are happening in my life and my heart is shifting and I'm maturing in the Lord, then my wealth is the fullness of what wisdom is imparting to me. I'm gaining wisdom. Proverbs says, get knowledge, but in all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom. It's one thing to hold knowledge, and we live in a, in a society where we're inundated with knowledge, and they got tired of just giving us knowledge, so now they decided, let's complicate things even more, so you never know whether it's true knowledge or not true knowledge. But in all of our knowledge, get wisdom, hold on to wisdom. Knowledge gives me the ability to know something, to understand something. Wisdom gives me the ability to actually implement it into a situation, knowing when to do it, how to do it, who to do it with. Those are all the points of wisdom. The knowledge gave me the, okay, I know I can do this. Wisdom, how am I going to actually put that in? So, again, if you accept my premise that these are steps to maturity, then this place of blessed or happy, or filled with wealth are you when these things are happening in your heart. 
And for me, it gives me that it gives me a um, one. It gives me a sense of hope, but it also gives me a place of engagement when I realize that I've been invited by my Father to walk with Him to increase my wealth. And when I'm fully wealthy, it means I'm fully full of Him. It's his fullness that gives me the wealth. Everybody okay? Okay, now I want to jump all the way down to um, to the peacemakers. We had a really good discussion two weeks ago at Chat, Chew, and Connect about this, about peacemakers. And... It was a really good dialogue. We're kicking the stuff around back and forth and uh, and trying to sort out, like, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? How how does that actually work? And, you know, if we start, like, in my mind, when I talked about it in front of you and when I talked about it at the beginning at the, the Monday night meeting, where my thinking is, and it still is, is this place of Peacemakers are those that are out into the communities where we live having some effect that brings peace into an area where peace isn't existing. Um, and I, I, I think that is still, and from you know, various commentaries I've looked at, that is pretty much the prominent thinking. You know, then, but what came up was, well, what do we do well, with the bully? What do we do in the situations where my personal safety is at risk? So if a guy breaks into my house and he's ready to do harm to my family, do I, do I just meet him and say, I'm, I'm, I'm a peacemaker and I think you've made a mistake breaking into my house. And so would, would it just be okay if we just take a minute, can we just pray in tongues and then see what the Lord has to say about what you're doing? Now, I'm making light of that, but I've heard some testimonies that are just about on spot with that and things happened. The other side is when that person breaks into my home, I introduce them to my two friends, Smith and Wesson. (laughs) And I say, in case you haven't noticed, my gun's bigger than yours. Just saying. I think you've made a mistake. So you can back out now, or I can carry you out later. You decide. I never want to take somebody's free will away from them. So what, what, what are we supposed to do if I'm a Christian, if I'm supposed to love my enemies as I love myself, and I, I'm supposed to be a peacemaker? One, I think each of us have to resolve that issue within ourself and arrive at what does that look like if I'm in that situation. Because as I said, I, 
I personally know people that have gone through um, Zach Anani. Anybody remember Zach Anani? It's been some years back since Zach was here. But Zach Anani, the, he's from, uh, from Lebanon and was actually part of the Lebanese Liberation Army that was trying to drive Western troops, the U.S. being one of them, out of Lebanon and so forth. And Zach can tell you testimonies, stories that he's seen of people being shot and their clothes having the hole that the shot, the bullet created, and yet they walked away not shot because they were, you know, like in those guys, you, you pretty much lived on the run because there were always people that were looking to kill you like you were looking to kill other people. And then Zach became a believer, and that changed his perspective. And what, in his country, what that meant is before he had this many enemies, and now he's a believer, and now he's got this many enemies because now his family wants him dead. So you have to, you have to work through that because the same in that, that same man who can tell the stories of people that were shot but weren't really shot, he can tell you other stories of people that were shot and killed because of their faith, because of where they were at. So it's, I mean, you know, we, each of us have to sort that out. And I'm not here to say it has to be this way or it has to be that way. But I do think each of us have to reconcile what are we going to do if we're in a place where violence. And, and what came out of Monday night is there we're called to be peacemakers and and in my mind that's addressing it on the macro level we are to be peacemakers in the communities where we live peacemakers in countries where we go peacemakers helping neighborhoods become better and safer places to live however that all works out i believe that's what we're called to do as peacemakers i also believe that i i have a response this is my conviction. I have a responsibility to protect my family. And if somebody, the night that somebody was, or the early morning, this is a Christmas morning of all times. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Somebody's breaking into our cars in our driveway. Those of you that know where we live, we're out in the middle of nowhere. These guys were determined they had to walk across a 35-acre field, and it was wet and cold to get to our vehicles to break into them. And Ma in her kerchief and I in my cap <laughs> were just waking up from a long winter's nap. When much to our wondering eyes, did we see? What a bunch of thieves breaking into my F-150. And Ma sprang to her feet and ran to the door, and as quickly as she can, she said, Bob, get the gun! <laughs> to which I responded, I have the gun, I can't find the shells. <laughs> so at 5.30, Christmas morning, in the quiet little village of Argo's Corner, I'm riding around the field with a load of 12-gauge looking for two dudes that had broken into our car. 
I didn't find them. And we really had to feed the horses and get the Christmas breakfast. State, the police showed up and, and when they ultimately got arrested, they all, you know, all that kind of stuff. So in my mind, it is my responsibility. This is my personal conviction again. It's my, my place. If you're going to break into my home, I would prefer that you don't do that. I make a deal with you. I won't come break into your home. Don't mess with my home. It's real simple. I think that's where the peacemakers come in in the macro. Let's help people live in such a way that we don't need to do that kind of stuff. But if you do, I will protect my home. You're not going to hurt my wife. You're not going to hurt my kids. I will protect my home. So when we talk about being peacemakers, I don't think we can lump it all into one pile and say, this is how it all works. Paul said, you know, live at peace with a man as much as it is possible within you. I can't live at peace with all people if it's not within them to live in peace. Now, I'm also not going to antagonize them if I can help it. But if I find myself in a position where I can't live at peace with this person, then I'll do all that I can to remove myself if possible. But if removing myself is not possible, then I guess I'm going to have to deal with the situation that's in front of me however I need to deal with it. Um, so that's on the personal side, but I'm going to, I want us, because this is kind of where, where mainly where my heart is. I want us to be focused on this place that we are called to be peacemakers in the world. And there's a lot of different ways that, that we become peacemakers, but to be a peacemaker, one, it means I ha- I have to see and acknowledge there's a place where peace doesn't exist. I have to make a decision to be personally involved in that. One of the things that I, I, I um, there's a group that I belong to called Acton University, which there's no brick and mortar. Acton is just a large uh, conglomerate of people doing amazing things all over the world. And one of the things I've, I, we just had our annual conference two weeks ago and so for two days I'm online speaker after speaker after speaker one of the things that this one person said that just really stuck with me and it, re- it resonated with me when we talk about being a peacemaker her point was in the church and Acton is is Christians from all different faiths uh, all different groups it's just an amazing amazing group of people But she was saying that Christians have a tendency that we hear of something. And so I I hear of there's this there's this problem. um, I don't know. There's this problem in Haiti. And so what do I do? I just write a check and send it to an organization and I let them worry about it. Now. Take it from me as someone who's involved with an organization that needs donations. 
Checks are important. But there's a difference. If I just send the check and leave it up to someone else to do whatever they, whatever that organization is doing, if all that does is kind of ease my conscience and leaves me with this sense of, well, I did something. I don't really think that's peacemaking. I'm not minimizing that, but I don't think that that's peacemaking. Because to be a peacemaker, somehow it's going to require, and this is what the lady in the school was pointing out, it requires me to actually be engaged in the process of peacemaking where I'm looking somebody in the eye, I'm hearing their heart, I'm sharing my heart, and I work through the nuances of arriving at, at peace. And I can't do that with a check. I can only do that with me. Does that make sense? So if, if I've walked through my places of maturity as, I've, as I'm laying it out, and now I come to this place where wealthy am I at, when I'm a peacemaker, I'm now called a son of God. As, if, as a son, I am an emissary of my father, or Paul says I'm an ambassador from another land. And so I've been called to engage myself, to put myself into a situation where, one, the outcome isn't known. I think I understand what my father is saying. His heart is for this situation. And now I see myself as part of the solution. And I engage myself in that. I think that's when I become a peacemaker. I like it. This, this, isn't, this isn't my wording, but I really liked it. He said, a peacemaker is a person being endowed with generous public spirit. I can't be a peacemaker and be content to just live in my own home. With a gracious public spirit. I can't be a peacemaker and hide in my house. Somehow, I have to become, I have to not only come into the public, but I have to be gracious in the public. I'm not a peacemaker if after engaging with people, I've created more strife and confusion and anger and animosity than before I even showed up. I'm not a peacemaker. The Bible has words for what I am, but it's not peacemaker. Somehow we have to step into the situation so that we're connecting with, the, with someone else's heart. And I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I engaged with somebody, and we were, it was actually talking about racial issues, and we had this two-hour conversation and in that conversation, I was wealthier at the end of the conversation because I, I heard their heart. I was willing to spend more time listening than talking. I wasn't interested in defending my position. I was interested in hearing their position. 
and how they arrived there because neither of us were trying to attack the other. We actually could have a two-hour conversation that we both were enriched at the end and came away with the agreement, we're going to keep talking. And out of that, I think, something is going to emerge. And I actually think, as it emerges, we as a church are going to get involved in it. So one of the, again, not wanting to go too far down this road, but this is just early discussion, but some of this was talked about when I was in class at Acton as well. If we look at our criminal justice system in the U.S., it's seriously broke. And while a lot of attention gets thrown at the federal level, federal prisons, most of the injustice is not happening in the federal prisons. It's happening in the local state-run prisons. So what... How do, we, how do we come up with a system that when someone is incarcerated for three years and it's a felony, that felony doesn't translate into a life sentence where that individual never stands a chance against the system? Why does a person that creates one felony lose their ability to vote the rest of their life. Why does that person get now, why is it so difficult for that person to get employment? There's just a lot of things. And I, like I said, I'm not one that, we're unpacking all this. But what, we're, what came out of that two-hour discussion is, in Delaware, at the state level, are there things that we, churches, can rise up and be a voice in, not saying that people shouldn't be in jail. There's some people in jail. I'm glad they're in jail. But that's not the sum total of it all. And why is the numbers in jail so disproportionately black than white? When we're not talking about a 50-50 population. So why does, why does that happen? I don't have the answers to all that stuff. But if we start a discussion that we can actually work towards peacemaking, I think Father God has some answers. And I think things can change. And I think they can change without burning cities down. But at some point, the peacemakers have to arrive and start talking and listening, more listening than talking, and then start hearing from Father God, what, what are the solutions? What are the solutions? So that's when I'm talking about peacemaking, that's what I'm thinking about. And this, you know, you can, you can expand that into whatever your, your personal convictions are. I mean, I'm sure we went around the room. Every one of us have things that, you know, things that are important to us. And what's important to you may not necessarily be that important to me. 
if we're going to be peacemakers, we got to first get over attacking each other for not having the same zeal for the same cause I have zeal for. Well, we're, we're a diverse group of people. We have different things that work in our heart. Maybe our father is really good at multitasking and needs a bunch of different people in a bunch of different areas so society can actually have the benefit of the church being a peacemaker. Instead of, well, we just got to constant, you know, if you're, if you're a believer, this is, this, you have to have this conviction. Well, maybe I agree with your conviction, but here's the conviction that, that I'm carrying in my heart. Not everybody's called to go start a vocational business school in Kenya or any place else we can start one. I get that. I can't beat you up because you're over here doing something else. It's like, no. Maybe if we just got busy with our own conviction, we wouldn't have any enough time to badger everybody else about, you know. And maybe if we spent less time throwing stones at somebody else and more time just getting involved in doing, things would get done. I, I, for one, have reached a point where I'm really tired of groups that just sit around and talk all day about what's wrong with everybody else but really don't fix anything. We just tie into the world system and become even more divisive and more disjointed and more whatever. It's like, well, wait a minute. If we can, if we can agree that this is what we're trying to solve. So in the example I gave, if, what we're, if this group of people come together and we can agree that the criminal justice system, as the way it exists in the state of Delaware, has some serious issues. We're not going to burn the prisons down and turn everybody loose, but let's find out where's the places of injustice, how can it be fixed, who can we get on board to see this thing fixed, and are we willing to steward it through till it actually gets fixed? Or do we just sit around a table and argue all the time about what's broke and every two years buy into the nonsense of the politicians that are telling us we have to do this and they're going to do that and, you know, and all that noise? It's like, I, let's just, can we just stay focused on the, on the issue? So this thing about peacemaking, so one, I, I want to be one that's endowed with a generous public spirit. Two, I want to be somebody that labors for the public good. I mean, is it, are what we doing, is it better? Is it making our community better? This, I, I, this is important to me. is that you, you don't, um, it's not your own interest that you're promoting, but it's in promoting others and seeing them accomplish the task. When we give up needing to be the recognized one, we can get a lot accomplished. 
if we spend all of our days in turf wars over whose name is at the top of the list, we're not going to accomplish anything or very little. And there will always be strife in that because the ego is never satisfied. We're not someone, as a peacemaker, we're not someone that's fanning the fire of strife. We use our influence and wisdom to reconcile the contending parties. I can't bring in the spirit of reconciliation if I'm not in the room. I can't be a reconciler as those being reconciled to the Lord. I can't be a reconciler there if all I do is say, well, I hope you go to church. Not, I'm not a reconciler. At some point, I'm going to have to engage you, share my heart, my journey, hear your heart, hear your journey, and help you, if you're not, help you become reconciled to the God who loves you. So in the reconciling for the contending parties, we help people adjust their differences and, and restore a state of unity. That's why, in my opinion, the gospel is called the gospel of peace because it tends to reconcile people to God and to each other. So when I'm talking about being peacemakers, that's what I'm talking about, is that somehow we are engaged in the process. And it doesn't mean it has to be big and lofty and only, only if there's all this, this, around, this structure around it, you know, that, that's the only thing. And there are tens of thousands of peacemakers that live on streets across our country that help neighbors sort out their differences and just get along. And I, in my estimation, feel they're the more valuable ones because they're going to affect a whole lot more people than somebody like myself that starts an organization that's doing a particular thing. People can say, oh, well, you know, that's really amazing. Well, it's just amazing that for the person that helps the person on your street learn to read when they don't know how to read or learn to work through a situation that they don't know how to work through. Just letting somebody know they're seen is a peacemaker, in my estimation. So, I don't even know what you call that. That's not really a sermon. Um, But I'm done anyway. And um, there's nothing else circling that I have to keep talking to. It comes back in. So you all can say hallelujah over that. So anyway, let us be peacemakers. Let us sort out, where, where, where is God plugging me in? And what has he anointed me with, equipped me with, talented me with to be a peacemaker? And wherever it is, whatever it is, just do it to the best of your ability. Just do it to the best of your ability. Realize that God is in it, and he's working through you, and he's using you to make a difference.
Amen? Okay. Father, um, whatever that was that just happened, I just ask that you, you pour your spirit into it. Show us, Lord, the places where uh, it's important to us and where our heart needs to be positioned. Lord, I thank you for this community of believers. I thank you for the ama- amazing, amazing thing that you all are doing. Thank you for following the Father. And Father, thank you for calling us into the places where you do. May we continue to be peacemakers. And may we each make a difference in those places that you've planted us. In Jesus' name and for your glory, O God. Amen.